It's good to be here. I am, uh, I'm really excited about um, what, we're, what we've been doing. And you probably have noticed, you've all seen those videos online that has to do with the frequently asked questions that the whole network is doing. We're going to be joining with the network starting next week. Um, there was just a bunch that I thought that we as a community need to cover first, and then we're going to be going online with the rest of them. And next week, we're going to be looking at the scriptures. And, and I really think that for most of us in this room, the thing that could be ten, potentially the most damaging to our faith would be that if we stop trusting the scriptures. And, and I think it's a really important thing. I believe so many wrong things about the Bible growing up and and very recently and so next week we're going to be covering a lot of that stuff um, and a lot of very different things than the rest of the network just because of the the demographic of this group but um, tonight we're going to be talking about marijuana and I am really excited about this topic as you all know next Wednesday is the day that it becomes legalized nationwide and listening to CBC radio the politicians don't really have any idea what this is going to look like Hospitals aren't sure how that's going to go. Police officers have no clue how this is going to roll out. And so many people have been asking, like, where in the world does the church stand on this? What does the Bible say about this? And, and so I've been, you know, I've been really prayerfully considering this for almost a year now, and I'm really excited about this one. There's a lot of things, I think, in our Christian walk that we sort of put in the bad pile without really even knowing why. On our way down to Los Angeles... We stopped at this gas station, and American like gas stations have got a lot of food that we don't have, and one that they still have is jerky chew. You guys know what jerky chew is? It's essentially beef jerky, but it's been blended up, and it's, it's kind of like the consistency of like chewing tobacco. And I saw it, and I thought, I've never had this before. I want this. And so I bought it, and we're just, you know, it comes in like a little chew container. Thing, and it was just kind of funny. It's beef jerky, and I love beef jerky. So anyways, I take it, and me and, and uh, I think it was Bear were just joking, and I, I put it in my bottom lip, and one of the girls from our L.A. team walks by, and I've got a big old chew in the bottom of my lip here, like, like you know, and, and I just thought it was funny. Like, obviously, she knows that I'm not actually chewing on a missions trip, and it's kind of funny. We're laughing, blah, blah, blah. I get on the bus, and I look in the back, and she's crying in the back seat. <laughs> And I go up to her, and I said, what's the matter? And she says, I can't believe you would chew <laughs> like this. And she's just like crying, and I'm like, it's not chew. And I showed her, and it was funny and a big laugh. Meanwhile, all these boys are getting on the bus with these enormous American pops. You know what I'm talking about? We're talking like a liter of caffeine and sugar, like diabetes right here. And in our minds, we're like... The chew, oh, that's horrible. But that, what you're drinking, completely culturally acceptable. Imagine this. We were to leave this room at the end of the night, and, you know, I'm saying goodbye on the steps, and I'm out there smoking. Some of you would be like, what in the world is up with this guy smoking on the steps? But if I was eating a huge full plate of bacon, you guys would be like, rock on, man. You pound back that bacon. They're both equally bad for you. Well, debatably, the bacon could be worse for you in that amount. But culturally, we have said, these things are acceptable. These things are unacceptable. And sometimes there's not much of a rhyme or reason. And the other thing is, is that um, lots of these things change over time, don't they? Like back in the old days, if you went to a theater, oh my goodness. If you played cards, uh uh-uh. Meanwhile, (laughs) yeah, a lot of crazy things have been happening. 
Like, back in the 80s, I mean, fairly overt racism, that was kind of normal. Smoking in operating rooms, that happened. Driving in the back of a pickup truck, normal. I did it. This was just kind of how you got around back in the 80s, am I right? Things change, what's acceptable changes, and our opinions and biases shift. For 1,800 years in the church, communion was wine. It's just the way that it was. It was always wine. Something shifted in the late 1800s, and to this day, it's grape juice. I don't have a theological issue with it one way or the other. It's just not really worth our time to get into it, in my opinion. But there are all of these issues that we have, and as we look back, we can sort of see there's a lot of tradition of man. And there's also a lot of good reason. And as Christians, I think it's really important to recognize this, that the church has an obligation, and it is not for the person on the pulpit to weigh the pros and the cons and opinions and then spit out the church's idea, like, okay, the church has decided this. That's not the job of the pulpit, to look at science, to look at opinion, and to say this is our position. The job of the church is simply to hear what God has to say on the issue, to look at the scriptures which are never changing, and to go to the creator who is solid and never shifting with the tides of time and say, like, God, what do you have to say? What does the word say? That's what we get to do. And as Christians, we have laid down our lives We've said that we've died to ourself. We lean not on our own understanding. So at times when things do not line up with our own understanding, we, therefore, we go with what Scripture says. We just say, you know what, I don't know God. You know what, I might even disagree with what Scripture says, but I've laid down my life, and I've decided to follow you completely. And the debate about cannabis, it's very, very gray. There's so much misinformation. There's so much heated rhetoric, and there's a lot of money involved. And whenever there's a lot of money, guess what happens? There's a lot of manipulation, right? And we're entering a time where I think the church has to step up and just say, like, just with crystal clear and just beautiful clarity, say, this is what Scripture says, and we're going we're gonna to be different. Like, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus, who calls himself the way. So we're going to do that. I'm just going to invite you to just pray like this is kind of what we do here. Just spend 30 seconds and just ask the Spirit to fill you, to give you discernment. We're going to be talking just about a lot of Scripture, and, and He's the one that makes it come alive. So let's just take 30 seconds and ask the Spirit to fill us and, and just give us understanding. Yeah, Jesus, I pray that you'd, you would just guide us into, into beautiful freedom, God. It's, it's your truth that sets us free, God, and you don't keep any good thing from us. God, you reveal truth. You're the light of the world. You, you reveal deception, and so, God, I pray that in this place and, and for those people watching at home, 
Father, that our experience would be one of the Holy Spirit coming and liberating our minds and renewing us, Father. Yeah, thank you, Lord. Amen. Well, I was listening to a, a lady talking today on CBC Radio about her, her marijuana and, and how she smokes it with, and her children are around, and, and she refers to it with her children as her medicine. And it's a really interesting sort of way to, to frame what she is doing because she's not actually, she's not smoking medical marijuana. She was smoking recreational marijuana. And there's so much misunderstanding about what we're talking about here. So when we're talking about medical marijuana, we're talking about something called cannabidiol. And what this is, is something very, very different. It's a chemical produced by the cannabis plant and it is actually a wonderful healing drug. I've heard so many testimonials of people saying that it has helped, like, shrinking um, cancerous tumors. It has helped with MS. It has helped with epilepsy and anxiety. And it comes in pill form, and it doesn't make you high. There's no THC present. It's, it's just like any other medication. And so when we hear medical marijuana, we're hearing about CBD. And that's what it is. It's from the cannabis plant, but it has no THC. And so a lot of the research that we're hearing and a lot of the properties of healing, it all comes from CBD. When we're talking about recreational marijuana, we're talking about THC. This is the main psychoactive compound in marijuana. And marijuana makes you high simply because of this. THC really closely resembles a neurotransmitter in our own brains called cannabinoids. <laughs> I knew I was going to do this, didn't I, Melissa? <laughs> Cannabinoids, <laughs> whatever. This is what they look like. Um, so um, the drug THC looks just like a cannabinoid. No, what's the word, Melissa? What is it? <laughs> yeah, thanks for saying it so loud. <laughs> cannabinoid. Yeah, there we go. No, that's not the right... Anandamide is a type of cannabinoid. <laughs> uh, I practiced all day and I had it just absolutely nailed. Anyways, so what happens is that we all have these receptors within our brains, cannabinoid re re receptors, and this is what they look like. You got the next slide. And what happens is normally in the normal function of life is that your brain produces cannabinoids, and that's all well and good. When you smoke marijuana, the THC mimics the, the cannabinoids. And what happens is that your brain is flooded with them and it increases dopamine production in your brain. And this is why people smoke and then they suddenly get the high. When you smoke it, it's very sudden. When you eat it with edibles, it, it, it takes a fair amount of time, maybe 30 minutes or an hour. And, and this is what it's doing, is that your brain is suddenly being hijacked by the cannabis and the THC, and this is what's happening. So what is happening in the meantime is that your brain, in order to deal with all this extra THC in your brain, is that it's opening all these new receptors to deal with the flood in your brain. And so all these cannabinoid receptors open up, and the high goes from about an hour to three hours, and then it slowly recedes. This changes our brain because these receptors that have been opened now stay open for one to three months. And that's really, really important because for the person to then smoke again, they need to smoke more to get the same high because now there's more receptors that are open. 
And further than that, our brain now no longer produces enough dopamine to deal with what the brain wants. So a person feels a low, lower than when they first began. And it is also further changed by researchers finding this. There's this part of your brain called the nucleus accumbens. And this is the main reward center of your brain. And what they found is that with regular marijuana smoking, this part of their brain, it shrinks and it actually um, disfigures. Actually, it doesn't shrink. It disfigures and it, it becomes more dense. Regardless, the problem with that is that it's not producing the same amount of dopamine. So our brain is not producing the same amount, but it's requiring more. And this is becoming a problem especially because today's average THC potency in the marijuana today is about 15 to 17%, which is a 500% increase to the marijuana from the, the 60s and 70s. It's way more potent. The effect is way more dramatic. And the result of this is the person would feel depressed and anxious after a period of time. And the irony is this, is that the CBD actually helps people with depression and anxiety, but as soon as recreational marijuana is introduced with the THC, it counteracts the effect of the CBD. So we're always hearing about the healing properties of, of, of marijuana, but it, it's, it, it's a misnomer. It's not recreational marijuana at all. It's two completely different things. People use cannabis as a blanket term, but they're totally, radically different compounds. You see, THC messes with our chemistry to such an extent that researchers are saying that it, that it has a huge play in dealing with schizophrenia and triggering things like OCD and bipolar. And it causes all sorts of issues. Recreational marijuana also destroys motivation. This is a very interesting study that they did. They found that this little area of your brain called the striatum, this is where, where it is and this is what it looks like. This is a part of your brain that controls motivation, slowly starts to, starts to disfigure. And it doesn't produce the same amount of dopamine. And it also causes paranoia. In a study in the Journal of Neuroscience, they found that what was happening with people is that they would have a thought, and the marijuana encourages the brain to jump to scary conclusions about places and events and patterns, and it creates connections that aren't actually there. And the result is that people start to come up with these conspiracy theories, and they, we've all seen this on the internet, have we not? People really get into that. And in a huge study in New Zealand, they found that cannabis users are 60% more likely to not graduate from high school. 60% is a very significant number. Seven times likelier to attempt suicide eight times likelier to use other drugs, and on average lost eight IQ points between the ages of 13 and 38. Eight IQ points is very significant. So even if you're not a Christian and, and you, you're coming into this place and you don't care really what the Bible says, I would be a person that would strongly recommend against recreational marijuana, even just for those reasons. I think all of us have known people who have been into this and have found that just that the zest of life, just that soul, that personality just seems to be deadened. And there's a lot of research behind why. Suddenly their brains just don't produce 
like they used to. The dopamine isn't there. They have these, these receptors that are lying dormant, and, and just life seems to be hard. And I think we've all seen that. And people are asking, now that it's legal, should I smoke this? Is this something that I should do? And nothing really changes as far as we as people that make decisions now that it is legal. Am I right? It's legal so the government can tax it, and it's legal so it's out of the hands of organized crime, but it's not legal because it's beneficial to us. And by that, I mean recreational marijuana. It's legal to do lots of things. It's legal to get pass out drunk, isn't it? It's legal to have an affair. It's legal to take all of my life savings and go to Vegas and bet it. It's legal to eat at McDonald's, but all these things will hurt us. Something being legal doesn't change really anything about how I live my life and how I choose to be. But remember, the role of the church, in my opinion, is not to weigh the pros and the cons or the opinions or even sort of the popular feeling about something today. It is to go to Scripture and say, Okay, God, what do you say about how I should live my life? Me, as a follower of Jesus, a Christian means I follow him. What does it look like to follow him now? Regardless of what the science says, regardless of how people feel about it, what does God have to say about this? And do we treat marijuana like alcohol now? And, and if we do, then, then why has the church's stance on alcohol changed so much? Have you guys... Notice that? The way that we viewed alcohol 20 years ago is so different than how we look at it now. So in 20 years from now, are people going to be coming here and saying, well, look at how much, you know, everyone's smoking pot now, and you said we couldn't. You're a false teacher. Is that what's going to happen? Let's talk about this huge shift in alcohol for a moment, because I think there's some profound truth to be found there. I want you to see this commercial from the Depression era. Check this out. This is fascinating. They want your sweet, innocent girls to take the booze so they can be enticed into honky-tonks by slick-haired vultures who prey on the flower of American womanhood. I say alcohol must go. In the decade oh, that's the awesome. The demon rum, it says. <laughs> oh. When I was a little boy, uh, my parents went to Rome, and when they got back, we got cars, and it was wonderful. And, and then we watched a slideshow. We had a slide projector. You guys know what I'm talking about, and it projects on the wall. <laughs> I'm getting so old. And, uh, and we were there, and I remember it very vividly. I was in my tidy whities watching the slideshow, and, um, and then all of a sudden we saw... Well, my dad always has pictures of of ladies. It's hilarious. But there was one picture where they're sitting at this table in a restaurant, and they have wine. There's wine glasses. And I remember looking at it thinking, oh, my goodness, my parents are the worst. And, like, I think my little brother Jeremy cried, and it was just this big thing that, like, we busted, you guys. Holy, you guys drink wine. You know what? Things got really weird in the last century with alcohol, didn't they? But that's not really our history. Like Jesus very clearly drank wine, and he used it for ceremonies. It was a very Jewish thing to do to use wine for ceremonies. He even manufactured it. He manufactured six jars with 30 gallons in each. That's a thousand bottle of wine. A thousand. 
A thousand. He could have easily made ten. And he could have made it just so-so. So they'd be like, oh, this wine isn't that good. I don't like wine anymore. Thank you, Jesus, for making me not like wine. No, he made it excellent. In other words, he knows what good wine is, or he would have made it bad. He made it good on purpose. This wasn't an accident. Man, in Psalms and Proverbs, wine is a symbol of God's blessing. That's fascinating. And the church has always had a very positive view of wine. Psalm 104 speaks about all the beautiful things that God creates. It's talking about his blessing. And listen to this. Wine that gladdens human hearts, oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. You see, this is considered one of the beautiful things that we enjoy in life. In the Middle Ages, monks were the brewers. Did you know this? It's a true thing. And a lot of the art, we see the, the imagery of the monks. See, he's brewing it. He's making sure it's okay. Because here's what the... <laughs> that's, I mean, that's a big sampling glass. <laughs> see, the monasteries, they were a public service. Because what was happening was that there were so many unsanitary conditions. And people were drinking bad water. And so they would turn a lot of the things into alcohol. And this was a service. Moms were making beer at home in dirty pots, poisoning their families. They were called brew witches. Funny thing. That's actually where we get the term witches brew. Martin Luther, who began the Reformation, apparently he was this crazy beer connoisseur. His wife, Katharina von Bora, you got to see her. <laughs> Look at that haircut. You know, the screen really stretches it. But she was a brewer. Martin Luther's wife was a brewer. She used the money to fund the church, and she also used the money to help the poor. John Calvin felt the same. He said that those who enjoyed wine said this, feel a livelier gratitude to God. That's John Calvin. See, this was our history for 1,800 years. This is the church. The Bible never, ever, ever promotes drunkenness. Not once. In fact, it talks about it very seriously, but moderate drinking in scriptures is, is very much encouraged, and it was a good thing. This was our history until John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church. This is John Wesley here. Um, when he founded the Methodist Church, you got that there, Zach? There he is. That's a good head of hair, hey? I have, Duncan, that could be you in 10 years. If it goes gray, oh... But John Wesley was a man who opposed beer makers and, and suddenly had this shift in the way that the church felt. He called them poisoners and murderers, accursed by God. And one of his deacons went about trying to get alcohol out of communion, and one of his deacons invented grape juice. I'm not kidding. And guess what his name was? Thomas Welch, founder of the Welch's Grape Juice Company, was one of his deacons. Unbelievable. Alongside all of this, there was this group called the Women's Christian Temperance Union, and they formed, and they wanted to prohibit alcohol. I don't know if that's a real picture or a parody. Either way, it's a good one. And this was an organization, and they sort of had two main causes. Number one was they, had, they didn't have the right to vote, so that's a biggie. Alongside of that was they wanted to prohibit alcohol. And so 
The church supported them. They got the right to vote, and prohibition started. And prohibition, by the way, in my opinion of the time, and this is just completely my opinion, but, man, alcohol was a massive issue at the time. There was a lot of stuff going on. you got to understand that after the First World War, half of the men, imagine, if every guy under the age of 30 here, if we were to divide you into two, and then half of you would be dead, killed. It would radically alter the emotion of this community, would it not? The other half would have seen the horrors of war. Alcohol abuse went rampant. And then there was World War II. Like, it was, it was a hard, hard, hard time. The Great Depression hit in the 30s, and alcohol abuse was, was literally destroying the church and tearing apart families. So when the church stood up and said, you know what, this beautiful, this really beautiful thing that God has given us is being abused, and we feel like we would be better off to prohibit it, that doesn't seem that far-fetched to me. And, and alongside of this, a lot of other stuff was going on. During Prohibition, people were starting to soften their view. And people wanted to get this. And so there was this huge chain that you now know as Walgreens. You guys heard of Walgreens? There were 20 locations, and they decided that they would get a license to sell medical whiskey. (laughs) I'm not kidding. Check this out. This is an ad. Look what it's good for. Colic. So in other words, give it to your babies. Diarrhea. That makes a lot of sense, doesn't it, Lawrence? It's because it dehydrates people, so there goes the diarrhea. Also all of your body fluids. And bowel complaints. That's because you have no complaints. Medical whiskey took Walgreens from 20 locations to 500. I'm not kidding you. So all of a sudden, people started to see the, 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 the positive. As anytime something's prohibited, what happens to the general public is they start to view the positive attributes of something. Whenever anything is legal, they start to look at the negative aspects of something. Trust me, that's coming. And it's a very interesting time that we're living in. And so in 1920, when Prohibition happened, alcohol was viewed as evil and sinful. And in, I believe, 1934, when it ended, all of a sudden the church had to deal with what do we do now? It was illegal, and so therefore people viewed it as sinful. And how do we move forward with this understanding? You see, alcohol was in the unacceptable pile. And that's where it stayed for a very long time. These things take a long time to change. And I think in the last 20 years, we've seen a big shift back to where we're like, okay, drinking in moderation is biblical. There's nothing wrong with that. But what I think is happening is that, is that a generation looks at this seeming shift in theology of the church and says, what do we think now about marijuana? And what does the Bible have to say about that topic, which is quite a bit different? So why don't we grab our Bibles? I think this would be helpful if we all had our Bibles. Let's turn to Ephesians 5. Yeah, we're going to read from verse 14 to 18. This is what Paul has to say to the Ephesians. He says, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. You might notice that those are in 
quotation marks, that's because he's quoting Isaiah. And Isaiah back then quoted this many times, and he was speaking about a time in the future when the Messiah would come, and suddenly there will be this shining, there would be something beautiful that has come, where we can actually wake up from our slumber, and something of a spiritual awakening is coming. Oh, Christ will shine on you. Come on. And then he says this, That will come to you, but be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, that's, by the way, that's very strong language for Paul to say that, do not be foolish. To call somebody a fool at that time was, was a very, very, very strong statement. Do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. He's making some big claims, like this is what God wants from you. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. This is known as the great antithesis. And, and what an antithesis is, is a contrast. Paul is intentionally saying, if you want to have the most beautiful, glorious thing of Christ himself shining on you, then don't get drunk. He's saying that that is foolish. It's unwise. The days are evil. It's a passage that contrasts in, in, intoxication with being alive. And this is what theologian Barnes, I love this. This is how he puts it in his, um, in his commentary. He says, all intoxication is prohibited in scriptures, no matter by which means it is produced. Any intoxication in scripture is strictly forbidden. And that is really, really clear because it, it's the great antithesis You cannot be filled with the Spirit and be intoxicated. People smoke recreational marijuana to get high, and that is all there is to it. It's for intoxication. There's no other reason. There's not even one other reason. THC has no medical benefits that are not counteracted with the smoking of the THC. Paul is saying, be careful how you live and don't be a fool or you will miss out on God shining himself on you. Paul was talking to the Ephesians. In their city, many people celebrated this feast of Bacchus. This was their God that they would celebrate this feast to and he was known as the God of wine. And this was a really big deal. So Ephesus was much like Kelowna in that it was a wine region and people would come all the time And they were getting wasted. This is what Plato has to say, by the way. Didn't think you'd hear a quote from Plato today, did you? He says, There was hardly a sober person to be found in the whole Attican territories during the continuance of these detestable feasts. But ye be filled with the Spirit in all his graces, which gives a joy unspeakable and more delightful. I love that. He gives a joy unspeakably more delightful, exhilarating, and permanent than which is produced by the fumes of wine. The antithesis is beautiful. Oh, we get this unbelievable opportunity as followers of Christ to have Christ shine upon us. Jesus calls himself the living water, and he says, drink freely and as much as you can. It never, ever, ever goes out He's talking about being satisfied beyond measure. The way of Jesus was very different. 1 Thessalonians 5 says this, You are children of light and children of the day. 
We do not belong to the night or to darkness. This is really important. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. The word sober there is this Greek word nepho. And, and this means to be free from the influence of intoxicants and not distorted in thinking. This means all intoxicants. And, and I, I just love this perspective. You're children of the light. We're children of the day. This means all intoxicants. And this was a big issue at the time. There were a lot of drugs in biblical times. In Galatians, Paul says this, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, that's important, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissension, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Oh, this is a tough word. The word translated sorcery is the Greek word pharmakia, from which we get the English word pharmacy. The primary word of sorcery meant the use of drugs. There were sorcery cults that were using drugs to the equivalent of marijuana. And, and Paul is saying that these, that these desires are not going to produce the kingdom of God in you. He says that these, in effect... These will steal the kingdom of God from you. He's not talking about heaven. The kingdom of God is now. You see, what happens is really, really clear. It's Paul says that we're talking about something far greater. You can't be filled with the Spirit, and you are spiritually dead if you're not sober. Whoa. There's this massive gap, this great antithesis, that you cannot be spiritually alive If you're intoxicated, he says really clearly the true source of peace, which is the Holy Spirit, and the voice of God is gone in this scenario. Like, this is a strong word from Scripture. The kingdom of God is not ours unless we're sober. Do not get drunk. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. These are really powerful statements. I want to pursue God like Peter. I think about Peter and This was a man who he stepped out of the boat and just asked Jesus, like, Jesus, can I walk? Please, like, let me. I want to walk in the miraculous. Imagine if we just said, ladies and gentlemen, the Apostle Peter is here, and he's going to set the record straight. He came in through the door and would be like, oh, Peter! He took the pulpit. This is what he would say. This is what he said in 1 Peter 1. He said, verse 13, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober... Fully sober, he uses the word nepho, clear of intoxication. Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Set your hope in him. Let him shine upon you. Fully sober. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you who is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Oh, he repeats himself a lot, doesn't he? Be holy, seek holiness. He is holy. Be fully alert and sober because it's go time. I love this. The King James Version, you know what it says? 
This is one of the weirdest verses in the King James. <laughs> I dare you to do a Bible study on this one. It says this. Instead of saying, with minds that are alert and fully sober, the King James says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. <laughs> yeah. You guys can start using this as an everyday saying if you'd like. Man, gird up your loins, buddy. Gird up your loins. You're probably wondering what this is all about. <laughs> it's a really cool saying. Men used to wear tunics, which would be like from their shoulders all the way down to their ankles, and they'd be coverings, kind of like going as a ghost for Halloween, right? And so the bully kids come up behind you and start chasing you. You're toast, because you can't run in a ghost costume, am I right? If you wear a tunic, I apologize for that culturally insensitive, you know. And so what they would do is, is underneath this tunic, they would wear a girdle, and it would be like leather underwear, you're thinking, that is not a good idea because it's hot in the Middle East and sweaty and that's just not sanitary. It's fine. Underneath the girdle, they wore a loincloth and that's what they would change and the girdle didn't have to... You see what I'm saying? So, if a man needed to get ready for action, if a man needed to do work, he would take his tunic and he would tuck it into his girdle and it would be a term, gird up your loins. Okay, I got a picture of it. <laughs> okay? That guy's got some hairy legs. <laughs> okay, you can turn that off now. <laughs> so if somebody was to go and do something important or they had a job to do, there would be this phrase, gird up your loins. It means get ready for action. What Peter is saying here, he's saying this. He is saying, get ready for action. Be sober and alert. Life is short. You see, we get so distracted. It's funny that this is even a question, I think, in our culture. Because here is the reality. We are so consumed with pleasure. And we're so consumed with recreation in general that at the end of the day, we are, called, we are called to be light in this world. We will all, every single one of us in this room, stand before a living God. This is for sure. The Bible says every man is destined to live once and then give an account. You will stand before God. He's not going to judge you based on your sin because he's going to see the, the perfection of Christ in us. He's going to be like, oh, my son, my daughter, like, I love you. You are pure and spotless, my bride. But we will have to give an account of how we spent our life. We will give an account for how much mercy we shared. You see, the Great Commission is ours to be fulfilled, to make disciples, Jesus says that I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison, you visited me. I was hungry, you fed me. We will all stand before God and give an account of how we spent our lives. And if we go to him and we're like, you know what, I actually smoked a lot of pot. I just, I wasted most of my time. I killed time. That concept of killing time is evil. Time is precious and needs to be redeemed. And you know what? Drug use and drunkenness destroys our relationship with God. It's straight up. 
You, you can't be a pot smoker and pursue God. They're two different things. You, you can't say that I'm a Christian and I want to be a pot smoker because they act in opposition to each other. And so since they destroy our relationship with God and destroy our purpose in life, we need to just run from this. And I know many of you already know this, and many of you have already left this stuff in your past. Many of you have. And you've said, you know what? This has destroyed me. It's stolen my dreams. They call pot the big dream stealer because it does. It steals our ambition, our motivation. It, it just deadens our emotions. I think we all know this in this room. But what happens is that if we say, okay, I wanted to smoke pot, but, but I see biblically why not, or I used to, or, or I'm, I'm thinking about it. If we go down that road and then decide not to, we will end up just turning to something else. If it's not drug abuse, it'll be, it'll be drunkenness or it'll be overeating or it'll be toxic relationships or porn or image management. You know what? Whenever we seek refuge from anywhere but God, we will always, always, always be dissatisfied. We will never find resolution or peace. And if you want to smoke weed, you will never find peace or resolution in it. That's a promise. You won't. Jesus is, he is the way. He says, I am the living water. And it only comes from one place. Psalm 62 puts it so beautifully. I want you to really pay attention to the words of David here. The psalmist puts it so beautifully. He says, yes, my soul find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Remember the great antithesis, that he wants to shine on you. He's saying, I've got a great trade for you. Choose sobriety in everything. Be sober-minded and alert, and I will shine on you. That's a great trade, wouldn't you say? And don't you think that we have a world that's going to start smoking a lot of pot and they're going to start to come to the church and say, wait a second, I see something very different here. And we can reveal to them the great trade that we made, the great antithesis, and we can say, you know what? We have the refuge. We have the one that will make you alive. We know what you're looking for in recreational marijuana. And you won't find it there, but we know where you will find it. Oh, we know where. And we get to be that. He will be your refuge. I'm going to invite you. We're going to take communion. And, and I think each one of us have a tendency to put our refuge in somewhere besides him. We all have a weakness. Like Paul had his thorn in his flesh. And I think we all have that place that we just naturally run to. And we get to lay that down and make him our strong place, our refuge, and for some of you, I just think it's a wonderful opportunity tonight to make the big trade, to let Christ shine on you. Say, I'm going to choose to be really different. It may be legal, but I'm telling you what, I will not make the worst trade of my life because of that. Why don't you pray with me? Father, God, I thank you so much for your word.
God, I thank you that you promise us far more than anything in this world could ever come close to fulfilling Jesus. And God, this country is going to be filled with a lot of people who are left with questions and hurting. God, a lot of people who are feeling just depressed and anxious and without motivation, Father. And they're going to need a church that will not judge them, but will let them belong and be loved. God, I pray that we could be a people like that. God, that when they come into this community, they just wouldn't find more of the same. Jesus, I pray that you'd renew our minds in this place, God. God, I pray that we would be people that are so trusting in you, Father. God, that we'd lean not on our own understanding. Father, we just cast our lives to you, God, and and we want to build our lives upon the rock, our great refuge, our strength, the one that loves us. Father, I pray that there would be no condemnation in this room. God, I pray that any bit of religiosity, God, where people might hear rules without love or the heart of the Father would not exit this room, Jesus. God, you didn't come to the world to condemn it, but to save it. And I pray that there would be zero condemnation in this room, God. And that we'd carry no condemnation for anyone else, Father. Thank you. We love you. Anyways, we we would love to pray with anyone who would love prayer for anything. I'm going to encourage you to just really consider where you've placed your refuge, where you've built your life. And if it has not been solely on God to come up and just lay it down, that's this beautiful act of communion. Take a piece of the bread and dip it in the juice, unfortunately, for Mr. Welch. And you can examine where you're at with that. And then just worship and just thank him. His, his, his trade that he's offering is to shine on us. Isn't that awesome? I'll take it. Come pray with us. Come take communion with us.